and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 21, the penultimate episode of Season 4, which is titled Suffer the Little Children. The episode aired on May 7th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? In fictional news, the Battle of Hogwarts takes place on May 2nd, with forces led by Harry Potter ending the Second Wizarding War by killing Lord Voldemort and decimating his army of Death Eaters. We, ce- we celebrated this by starting Harry Potter 8 with dinner tonight. Which is also 10 years old as of this recording date. So, Bonkers. Maybe not exactly 10 years old, but like within... Go listen to 302010, yeah. y'all. Seriously. Time has no meaning. But in actual news, a federal judge in Sacramento, California, gives Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, four life sentences plus 30 years after Kaczynski accepts a plea agreement sparing him from the death penalty. Now, I I have a question for Jake. (laughs) What is the purpose? I'm assuming the purpose of sentencing someone to four life sentences is not, or, or rather is... So that way, like, if one of the th- charges gets acquitted or something, then there's still multiple, then there's still a life sentence or something I, like that. I think it's something like, like that plus parole. It's yeah. like if you if you gain good behavior on one of them, you've still got three others yeah, that you're serving. Get, yeah, okay. And I think, too, I think the uh, definition of a life sentence varies state by state, mm-hmm. too. So, gotcha. like, in some in some jurisdictions, I think, like, a life sentence is only, like, 25 years. So, like, it just depends on... Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean you're in for life. Right. This is the, I think this is the first big, like, news case that I can remember. Like, Mm. I know we've talked about, like, what are the first big benchmarks that we can remember as kids. I think the Mm. Unabomber is probably mine. See, I remember the Oklahoma City bombing way more than I do the Unabomber. Yeah, I remember Oklahoma City and I remember the OJ trial. Those are my first two, like, big memory things. I just remember the Unabomber because of Will Ferrell's uh, Ted Kaczynski skit on oh, SNL. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's what I think God. of because I would watch SNL with my dad when I'd get to stay up late. Uh, one time, I think I think it was with Jen. Uh, I went to the um, the museum in DC, and they had uh, the Unabomber's shack that they had transported from the woods in. Wait, seriously? Yeah, they had transported it from wherever the fuck bumfuck egypt in the wilderness and i don't know if they dis- disassembled it or what but they it, it was there it was the whole thing the whole it was just a wooden shack and they had just deposited it in the middle of this uh museum so we got to like what you couldn't go inside of it or touch it or anything but it was it was like behind ropes but it was there um yeah complete pivot he got game starring denzel washington debuts and takes number one spot at the box office and too close by next is still the number one song all right and for what else was on that evening big tv evening that night especially for friends at 8 p.m they had the mammoth hour-long two-part episode the one with ross's wedding so that answers actually a listener had list, had informed me uh of which because we've had all along kind of the the like best man episode titles and stuff like that so i knew there was a wedding coming up uh and it was this one the one with ross's wedding parts one and two uh, at 9 p.m., Seinfeld with the episode of The Puerto Rican Day. And at 9.30, Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Silent Partner. So since next week is the season finale, does that mean that next week is also the series finale for Seinfeld? Yep. Actually, 
spoiler alert for next episode yes wow and you want to guess you want to guess how much they were selling advertising for uh probably a fucking lot considering that i've seen those pictures of people watching the finale in times square on the big screen so i would imagine probably quite a bit two million dollars for a 30 second spot i've been wondering i figured we had to have been coming up on something like that because spoilers for what i'm gonna talk about in a second the, the viewership the viewership takes a humongous jump next week like on the order of 15 million over where Whoa. we are this week so they must have cared they must have uh retained a lot of the people that were tuning in for the Seinfeld finale. They must have been able to keep those for ER. They uh, counted all the people in Times Square. Everyone just hung out to see the <laughs> finale of ER, too. Yeah, those pictures are wild. If you watch those pictures of people um, watching the finale, like it looks like it, it's so surreal that that was something that almost brought the country to a halt. You know, like We're just going to stand there in the middle of the street and watch a giant screen as this TV show ends. Would you have even been... They, don't, they wouldn't have had sound. You would have just had to like read subtitles in the middle of Times Square mm-hmm. for 30 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it's. I'm assuming they rigged up some sort of You just audio. hear Jerry Seinfeld screaming across Times Square. What's the deal with all <laughs> these he new workers? He never, never, Lizzie, <laughs> never. I don't want to be in Times Square. All right. Uh, so yeah, for and, and uh, I don't remember if I said or not, but nine thirty p.m. Veronica's closet. Veronica's silent partner. Uh, viewers for this week, as I said, big jump coming next week. But we are on an uptick uh, from last week, where we had about thirty million viewers. This week we're up to just under thirty-four million. Uh, this week's episode is directed by first-time director Christopher Missiano hope i'm pronouncing that right i apologize if i'm not uh first out of 11 episodes that he would do through 2008 uh he also is coming on as a producer on the series and would also be a producer on west wing as well uh and this episode is direct or written by waylon green doing his third out of five previous ones of his that we have talked about include exodus and friendly fire okay then um and also before we get into this episode again again we're still playing with audio stuff here in the new apartment it's very weird, very spacious. It's weird. Take I take two is in our kitchen. Yes. So <laughs> we shall see if this is any better, according to Daniel. Uh, apologies for last week. Apparently in order. No, no. Uh, apologies not in order. Just it's, we're just trying it's it out. It's different. We're trying different yeah. things. Yeah. Bear with us, fam. Yeah. We'll get there. Uh, but going, diving into this week's episode, though, uh, previously I was brought to us by Carrie and Something you never want to see Jeannie doing, coughing and walking around her apartment. Well, honestly, in a stunning, in a very stunning bathrobe, but she's clearly not feeling great and worried about running a temperature and pulls out one of those old school glass thermometers mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. were always the worst. <laughs> I don't know if I ever had to use a glass one. I, as they long as always, I can remember. I don't know. Maybe it's, they were always just really un- uncomfortable in my... In, I can imagine it doesn't feel good clicking on your teeth. Yeah, yeah, that, thank you, yes, that was... I know what, I know what's up. It's a very specifically bad stim. I don't like it. I, I know my girlfriend. (laughs) Um, but then we go on to Elizabeth and Peter are riding the L, and Elizabeth is talking about the Velvet Lounge, and how there's a jazz group playing a jam session there, and how she really wants to go, but Peter notes that it's on the south side, and Peter doesn't think that they should go, and... Elizabeth's like, well, if you think it's because it's not safe for me, 
I've gone to the shittiest bar in Belfast that turned out to be an IRA stronghold for a <laughs> concert, and I've been fine. So Topical. <laughs> whatever. Um, so yeah, there we get some really interesting discussions between Lizzie and Peter this episode with their relationship dynamic, and I very much appreciate it. Um, but then our heroin baby makes a return. Uh, Doug is checking on his status, and he's looking nice and stable, and DCFS is evaluating him for a foster family, and it looks like right now he's lined up to go stay with a foster mom who is a retired nurse, which is great, because she'll be qualified to look after him as he continues to detox and come down from the methadone. Yeah, so I guess like I guess I should rescind my criticism from last time that this storyline didn't matter because clearly it did matter. <laughs> I just didn't Oops. I didn't real I knew this baby was coming. I just didn't make the connection that the baby from last time was the baby. Uh, the baby. Yeah. So, big oopsie on that one. But also too, I I still maintain that they could have started this storyline here. Like I don't think we needed to carry it over from last time. I'm terrible. My brain just went you and a baby. Uh, well, okay. There's no context. It's <laughs> no just... context for it, but sure. It's topical for this week, I guess. Sure. Um, and on a casting note, the um, Peds, atten- or Peds uh, they don't really make clear what this lady is, but we see her a couple times in the episode. She does eventually get a uh, character named Dr. Negravala, and she's uh, played by actress Alice Amter, who had a recurring role on The Big Bang Theory and is making her first out of two appearances. I believe her second appearance will be next week. And there's a couple of mm. people like that in this episode. So, uh, And then we go down to uh, Carter parking his Jeep and Anna catching him up as he walks in. Uh, he's parked at Wabash and Lake, if you were for the curious <laughs> among us, which looks very different than... God, it looks so different than it does now. It's, I almost didn't it's pretty easy it. to tell it's a corridor of Wabash, though. Yeah. yeah at a, if you had to guess. But I wasn't but... sure if it was going north or south or mm. what it was doing. So, anyway, she uh, she's talks to him about uh, Max. Max apparently wants to set up a Pete is here to look into setting up a pediatric unit in the ER. And Anna says that. She painted a one-sided picture of Max and doesn't want Carter to judge Max based solely off off of that. Doesn't she say it's like a feasibility study? Yeah, for the something Peds like that. Unit? Yeah, it's got Doug Ross written all over it. <laughs> bum, bum. Then we go in with the bangs, and as we come out of the intro, uh, Carrie is talking about getting uh, promotional material, pens and stuff from a company called Salutech, and uh, the salespeople are. Trying to buy, trying to bribe her and Mark uh, with free samples and stuff to do their use their drug, uh, and as we're as we're listening to them talk, uh, Max is in to meet with Mark and Carrie about his feasibility study for the Peds unit, and Carrie is immediately put off by this, uh, thinking that this was all just kind of a theoretical discussion, and you know she's this is all getting a little too real for her. Doug Doug Ross, attending physician, is becoming a little bit too clear. Uh, a little bit too real for Carrie, so uh, this upsets her greatly. Because remember, folks, Carrie Weaver hates children. That's right, and and doesn't want that, and wants them to have substandard care the only- and men. Well, we don't know. We don't. We know don't know, that, don't know yet. that yet. Um, but she pulls Mark aside and says, "You know, you know where this comes from." Doug Ross lobbying upstairs, and Mark kind of like puts her off just a little bit. You know, he's still trying to toe the line, but and it's like Carrie, you know, he's Mark's best friend. Yeah. She's, God bless her. She's, she's just, trying. She's trying. She her hairs are raised. She is on alert this episode. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we also see he doesn't really get very much to do, but there is another doctor here. He's introduced as the um, head of pediatrics, uh, Dr. Keinholz. Uh, and he is def- he's played by a definite, oh, hey, it's that guy, Kenneth Tigar, who appeared in stuff like uh, The Avengers, Lethal Weapon 3, and Conspiracy Theory, among many others. He had 171 credits to his name, and he's making his first out of two appearances, uh, just like the Peds Doctor from before. I think he'll appear next episode as well. Um, and in Avengers, he was the old guy who stood up to Loki in uh Oh, in hell yeah. Yeah. So watch that movie that's him uh and also here on a local note for me max mentions having just done a study at hennepin county hospital aka minneapolis's main hospital so hometown the stuff. more you know not really hometown but adopted hometown uh but then we see Jeannie pop into a curtain area exam room to listen to her own breathing so we will get a little bit more insight on Jeannie's situation a little bit later now let's go into our first audio uh randy is uh flirting with max as she gets him some coffee I would warn you, if you don't see me making the coffee, I would avoid it. Mocha, vanilla, amaretto. It's my own very personal stock. Mm. Thanks. Uh, Uh, You're... Randy, acting unit service coordinator. How's it going? Hi. Meeting everyone? Yeah. Uh, I encountered the usual dynamic, the attending seeing me as the spy. Sent in to undermine their authority. How are you doing? It's a little awkward seeing you here. Was it awkward last night? No. No. But now you're nervous. I don't know. I don't know. You just show up and you're back in my life and it's not exactly how I planned it. I never planned it any other way. Get it, Randy. <laughs> uh, so I know we talked about at the end of the last episode when he showed up that, you know, our, our, we didn't get to hear from him. So our only, you know, only feedback on him was visual. And I I think I described him as just the derpiest looking dude. Yeah. Now that we actually yep. get a chance to hear from him and experience him, I fucking hate him. <laughs> like, I really, <laughs> I he has not improved by talking like I though every time he talks in this episode I want him to shut up he's he's just doofy I mean I know I get that like we're still Carter is still very much the audience surrogate in the the archetype of this show so we're seeing him from Carter's perspective and we're meant to hate him a la the same way we're meant to hate Jennifer Green but I also it's working because I really do hate him like he's spoilers. He doesn't show up until functionally. He doesn't show up until this episode, the penultimate episode of the season. He is my pick because Lauren stole Cynthia. He is my pick for the worst character. of season I said four. I said I would be willing well, to I know, go with but the second for, choice. for the sake of variety. We need to all pick different ones. We all know that Cynthia is probably going to win. But if in the just much like last season where we were like we know MVP is Gloria Rubin and here's let's pick somebody else just for fun I think it's kind of a same deal here where we know Cynthia is the worst character of season four who wins the award for second worst character and in my mind it's this guy I don't like him and I also wanted to note that behind Anna there's a roommate wanted sign on the fridge and I think that was their last episode too yeah I noticed that as well and it's, it's specifically asking for a female roommate too mm-hmm wonder yeah also you didn't think it was awkward last night, did you? And uh, see that w- he got off on the wrong foot with me. <laughs> as soon as like his first thing he says is him trying to be like all suave and sleazy, and I'm like, no, nope, dude, get stop it. You can't look that derpy and then go immediately to 
you know casanova no thank you hey he was talking the talk with uh carrie and mark he sounded like you know what he was talking about i don't like him i don't like it well that's a different story but i'm just saying <laughs> um then we go lizzie goes to ask peter about if he has a case for the morning report which i think is like their morning rounds mm-hmm. as he's changing in the men's locker room and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Do you want me to wait outside? And I love how Peter responds to her with, when have you ever waited outside? <laughs> and um, they're, they're flirting a little. And he invites her to see Jazz at the Drake Hotel instead of going down to the Velvet Lounge as a bit of a compromise. And they smooch next to Benton's locker. And Romano nearly catches them. Or does he catch them? We don't know. It's a close call. Not good. Drama. But it's a cute smooch. And I love them. I love them together so much. Um, and then Doug is walking Max through the vision of the new Peds ER department, and we find out that Max was actually Anna's attending previously, which is sketchy. At and shop, do we, which is, is which is her hospital. Children's, I believe at. it. I believe it stands for Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. There you go. And he is double boarded in emergency medicine and Peds. Nice. And Carrie pulls him aside to shove him into the lounge and review their statistics instead of being anywhere on the ER floor. Let so me she... derail you every yep. derail say. you every single step of the way because I hate children and I'm <laughs> Carrie Weaver. She kind of makes it her mission to sabotage his little study here. Yeah, uh, and then we go from there. We get our we get our main, uh, really our main patient for this episode. Yeah, I think our highlight patient for this episode. Um, a woman is brought in uh, with a after a botched facelift with a fever and it's a total oh hey it's that guy that we can't place for the guy with her which we'll talk about here in just a second i think i know where i recognize uh, where i recognize him from um but uh really excellent makeup on the patient she's Mm -hmm. diabetic and allergic and allergic to some antibiotics so we're probably a lot of these things factored into what went wrong with her facelift and her husband is or her husband we think it, at the time yeah is, at this point it's not really clear we he is her husband eventually but yeah um the man with her is uh, answering all the questions that are directed at her and he is a doctor of divinity <laughs> and she's very worried about their broadcast so tina marie and dr emmett yes tina marie and dr emmett the the two most southern televangelists that have ever televangelized they're I love these two. <laughs> this is uh-huh. like they're total fucking grifters, and I hate how relevant this type of thing still is today. Yeah, but they play it's so spot. On. They play this expertly, and these two actors play so well off of each other. So uh, Tina Marie is uh, played by actress Swoozie Kurtz, who appeared in movies like Bubble Boy, Liar Liar, and Cruel Intentions. And was actually nominated for an Emmy for this uh, role. Hmm. Didn't win, hmm. but she was nominated. Uh, and Emmett here is played by uh, Gary Grubbs, who appeared in the first X-Files movie, X-Files Fight the Future, Battleship, and JFK, among many other things, 174 credits to Gary's name. I recognize him from the X-Files movie. Yeah, he's the kind of Can- the goofy sheriff. Yes. Yeah. Can I have my phone? I, it's going to bug me now because neither none of those are where I recognize him from. Okay. Gary Grubb? Gary Grubbs with an S. Grubbs. Two Bs I and apologize. an S. Not just one grub. That's right. But grubs. Many grubs. Yes. Gary, <laughs> Gary is a man of many grubs. No, thank you. 
Yeah. The the X like he was I had a similar reaction. He kind of has a little bit of a Gary Shandling look to him. And yeah. so like that's kind of what I always associate with him right away. But as soon as I saw his IMDb, I was like, oh, he's the goofy sheriff from the X-Files movie. Yeah, this guy's too pretty to be any, anything like Gary Shandling. I mean... um, He was he was Will's boss in uh, Will and Grace. Yeah. That might be one of the spots I recognize him from. He was also in um, Angel. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So yeah, that would have been where I recognized him from. Sorry. No, sorry. Like I said, he's been in many, many things, so... Yeah. Um, and then we go from there. We see Carol bringing in a case of a two-year-old with severe rat bites. Talk about, nope. talk about bleh. she brings this to Doug to activate his uh, white knight sensors. Uh, nope. They, the parents, <laughs> the parents are explaining that they think the rats were trying to eat him. Nope. Like, why are they packing all of the body horror stuff into one case? No, thank you. They are uh, saying that that the rats attack all of the children in the building. I'm out. Uh, yeah. Uh, I should point out, too, the parents are speaking Spanish here, and Chuni is translating for them. Uh, Doug says that he'll report uh, report the situation to the authorities uh, so they can get the rats taken care of. Uh, and the father, <laughs> through Chuni, uh, replies that they come, but they never do anything. So I was glad this took a different direction than I thought it was going to take. I, mm-hmm. I really thought Doug was going to be like, well, I don't care. You're the parent. You need to do better X, Y, and Z. Like, I really thought he was going to shit on these parents for like unsafe living conditions for their kid. Like I, I, I was more concerned that he was going to do a report and then it was going to be like, kind of like a tenement of illegal in- immigrants mm. and the authorities were going to find out. Yeah, I was worried it was going to go that way. Yeah, so I, I was very too. glad that that nothing happens with this. Yeah, that's the other thing. They they pack all this stuff into this, and then Doug obviously gets distracted with his much more important patient a little bit later, and we never nothing ever really comes of this. So presumably, there's a child being eaten to death by rats, and okay, that's it. We're just not going to talk about it. Some 1984 shit. <laughs> uh, but then Jeannie asks the radiologist on duty to do an X-ray. F- for her of her chest for her persistent cough and for all of our medical staff listeners is this something you could ever get away with doing just being like hey shoot an x-ray of me real quick (laughs) um but yeah and he's like yeah i get it you don't want to go through all the paperwork blah 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 whatever so um also she doesn't have any lead bib or anything else like should she have any form of lead protection for that i would and she's still wearing a bra wouldn't that presumably interfere with (laughs) the picture po- there are several layers poking a here. lot of holes here um and doug is looking for max so he can share an interesting case but max is shut away in the lobby or in the lounge and carrie says no worries he'll be kept busy and out of their hair to which mark pushes back and it's like carrie he's here to observe shut up <laughs> uh and then we go up to the surgical floor romano is working with uh, corday on a patient with calf pain on walks to the toilet, he's an 80-pack year smoker, which I guess it means he smoked two packs a day for 40 years. Which yeah. I've never heard before. Like, I've, I've yeah. never heard that as a, like, uh, that'd be another one that I'd be interested to hear from medical people. Is that an actual metric that they use? Because I've never heard that before. I, I feel like I've heard it once, but I don't remember where. I wonder how many years. I was going to say, that's, that'd be something that was like, it's one of those things, like, this, the, there are certain statistics about my life that I would love to actually know. <laughs> One of them would be would be how many cigarettes I've smoked, and what that translates to in in a stat like this. Yeah. It but. just reminds me of how horrified I am when I do like the slash played 
thing in WoW and it tells me exactly how much time I've sunk into that goddamn game. It's like there are some statistics we're better off not knowing. Yeah, but who knows? Uh, but Rocket asks uh, Corday if she's taken up taken up the offer in the UK to be a senior lecturer at uh, like Gloucestershire, I think is what it is, yeah. which I'm pretty sure is in Scotland, if I'm not mistaken. It sounds like a Scottish city. Um, don't don't at me, UK folks. I know you're out there. Um, but she turned it down, which to which he says, uh, takes guts. You don't know if you have a future here. Yeah, Cryptic. Then we see Jeannie uh, going to Carrie to ask her to examine her x-ray, but she doesn't, of course, tell Carrie that it's her x-ray, just uh, says that it's her patient's, and then presents the symptoms. Uh, nothing too conclusive. Carrie's big takeaway is that the x-ray techs need to do a better job about labeling these damn x-rays. <laughs> but uh, it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. And then we go from there. We see our next trauma coming in. A little boy being brought in by his parents who just mysteriously passed out in the car, which doesn't seem great. And uh, Lauren? Whose films are those? Amen. Get your shirt now. Uh, he's cyanotic and tachycardic. And our uh, parents here are kind of the main takeaways. Uh, Dad is played by actor Taylor Nichols, who appeared in uh, movies Metropolitan and Boiler Room and the TV series Pen15. And mom, played by Amanda, I can't tell if her last name is pronounced Wiss or Weiss, uh, but her. Uh, and she appeared in movies like The Id, Badland, and the TV series Highlander. And uh, Tina Marie is putting on all of her makeup in her fall season. Anna advises against that as it can worsen her infection. And Tina Marie is like, haven't you seen us on the J J G C N? <laughs> Say that five times fast. The Jesus Gospel Cable Network. Ugh. Yikes! Uh, wasn't that just called Fox Family for a while? Oh Pretty God, much. that's <laughs> some that's some Joel Osteen shit. I was gonna right say, that's, yeah. as a kid who grew up uh, literal like miles away from where they made the Seven Hundred Club, uh, Pat Robertson, uh, literal miles Ugh. away from there, this hit a little too close to home. Yeah, uh, but there is reason for concern on Miss Tina Marie's blood work. Her kidneys are having having some issues. Um, and the shots that show the ceiling are gross, according to Lauren. Okay, did you not notice this? No. There are so many shots, like when they're talking to Tina Marie or whatever, or where it's going from her view up to Anna, and it tilts, so you, you're looking like as if almost you're from the patient side of things. And I noticed this in a few other shots, but it shows the ceiling, and there's like water stains and marks oh, on yeah, the yeah, ceiling yeah. panels. Oh. I like, I, I gross. but I like that though. I think that's a really right. cool detail because it's a county it's a, hospital. It's probably right. short on funding. Like, of course, there's water it's, leaks. It's an excellent touch, but it's something I had never noticed before. So that was my little thing when they were just shooting back and forth. I was like, wait a minute. Gross. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for explaining. But uh, Tina Marie may need dialysis, to which her and her man friend get way too excited about. Tina Marie says, this means a full prayer vigil, Emmett. They're so good. There's dollar signs in their eyes. You can can see it now. Then we we have Doug follows up with the rat child um he gets a contact for rodent control from mark and max mark's like oh yeah i I helped this woman out a while back she'll she'll get anything done just go to her don't go to public works so that's getting taken care of um mark goes to check in on the little boy that was brought in his name is sam adams (laughs) i noticed that too Yep, he is 11 years old he is still cyanotic despite o2 being provided and it turns out they were coming back from a farm 
exposed to potential toxins. Um, greenhouses specifically maybe cyanide. And Max is super passive aggressive while Carter is like running this. And then afterwards he's like, oh, letting an intern take that big a case. That's a pretty big deal. And it's like just, just kind of pissing on Carter's credibility. So just just let's have a dick measuring contest, boys. <laughs> um, and then Lizzie grabs Peter to stress out about Romano having potentially seen them. And she's worried because of Romano's comment about her not taking the other position. And she thinks he may end her sponsorship, to which Peter says he doesn't own you. He can't just do this. Hmm. hmm. Bet she'll try. Hmm. And then we'll go back over to Heroin Baby, a.k.a. Josh, is being sent back by DCFS to live with his mother. Plot twist. Hmm. hmm. This can only end well for everybody. Oh, yeah. And uh, Randy says her mom watch. Okay, so it's Dr. Chambliss. Yes. yes. That's a that's a fake name. <laughs> I mean, it's a perfectly... I mean, it's a real name. I've I've definitely known people with the last name Chambliss, but like it's a it's a perfect really? name. Yeah, it's a perfect name for this type of it's a, it's a southern more southern name I think. More like Doctor Chambliss, am I uh, right, folks? <laughs> wordplay. Uh, but Doctor Chambliss and uh, Tina Marie, and they're gonna do a broadcast pr- to pray for Tina Marie in the ER. So they are quite popular televangelists because Carrie says that they must have some clout because. The administration says that they're to let them do the broadcast, which wasn't HIPAA just recently enacted. Right, I know. That seems like all sorts of... But this isn't the caregivers releasing the information I, that's true okay i'm gonna i'm gonna call myself on that but on my on that but after, I, but after that thorough my, my question is not so much the health information being disclosed my question is is there any well i guess it no because i guess this is another question for jake but i guess the whole like religious exemption thing like that mm. applies more for federal stuff than it would but something about them being a publicly funded hospital and them also broadcasting a religious program from the mm-hmm. hospital itself seems like a gray area of, I don't know. I was more thinking like if they incidentally catch other people. Sure, yeah, no, absolutely. That that's don't, fair, they don't yeah. have the permission. That's for. a perfectly valid concern. That one's That's valid, more yeah. what I was thinking of with, but misattributed like many other people with COVID vaccine. It's <laughs> bullshit. Have misattributed it to HIPAA. Everybody go listen to our HIPAA episode, please. On patreon.com slash the tone podcast. Please. It's only $5 a month. You can get it. much that and much more. Uh, but Randy says her mom is sitting there with her credit card in hand because Tina Marie is dying. <laughs> Lauren's little snort. I'm sorry. Lauren's I'm little sorry. snort sums it up exactly for I'm me. Sorry. That was ugly no, and t- I apologize. It's totally fine. That can't have been great ASMR for our listeners, oh, though. Oh, they'll get over it. So then we go from there. We see Doug approaching the uh, social worker, Adele, who actually gets a name check here. Adele from DCFS um, is taking Josh away. Uh, and so he catches up with her in the parking garage where uh, she gives Doug a little bit of an update on on the situation. Josh's mom is now living with uh, his aunt to keep her accountable. Um, Doug is obviously not sold on this, so he's trying to keep him around longer with some paperwork loopholes. He wants to... You know, he's, he's trying to just prolong the uh, inevitable here. Um, at least that's what we think. I don't, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm guessing he probably already knows what he's going to do here. Yeah. But he totally. We just don't know yeah. it yet. 
so they get him back inside. Adele is obviously, you know, she's kind of skeptical, but she wants to give him the benefit of the doubt. So she brings him back in and then Doug brings up the suspected pneumonia. And so he's probably going to have to stay overnight. And so she runs off to go tell the family and get the paperwork done and everything. So that's the last we see of her. Um, and as soon as she leaves, Carol, who's also in the room, calls Doug out on it. And Doug fesses up the game and is like, yeah, I made it up. I'm keeping him here and I'm not going to let him out of here until he is clean of his addiction. So he's going to do an ultra rapid detox today in the ER without any DCFS or parental authorization, which seems ill-advised he was doing he was doing so well really doing so well and now he has fully let the uh, white knight tiger out of the cage because Uh, this is like even even for us this is a bridge too far i think this is like season one doug but worse somehow yeah but instead of like misogyny and uh you know and alcoholism alcoholism, (laughs) now it's just like it's like militant white knighting. Like it's like white knighting to a, an upsetting degree. Uh, it's it's not great. Uh, so you know, Carol is like, "Well, you're not. You're gonna need help. You're not doing this by yourself." And he's again still trying to kind of do the white knight thing. And he's like, "No, this is. I'm gonna follow my sword and I'm gonna do the whole thing." And she's like, "You know, fuck off. I'm gonna help. And if we get caught, we'll help each other through real estate school." Which I thought was a cute little, cute little sentiment. But we will obviously be checking back in with this a little bit later. This is going to be a dominant plot thread through the rest of the episode. Uh, but then we see Carter checking in on Sam with Max kind of watching them talk in the background. Uh, Carter's still searching for the cause of Max's poisoning, you know, what Sam or I'm sorry, Sam. Yeah, I got Max on the brain, derp on the brain. Um And then as they're leaving the room, Max says he's heard a lot about Carter from Anna and that Anna told him about Chase's situation. And unfortunately, that she had to learn all of those drug addiction uh, ropes from him, Max. So he's letting he's letting on to a little bit of his own history and a little bit of his own baggage. But Carter's still not buying it. Carter's still very much cagey around this guy. And I think probably rightfully so. Max is just like, let me love, let, uh, yeah, let me I love don't, you. I don't know exactly why he's trying so hard to be bros with Carter. Like he's really trying to. Maybe because he wants to get back. Well, he clearly wants to get back with Anna. Yeah. So maybe he sees Carter as the primary threat or something to that, to that goal. I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's a very strange dynamic between these two. Yeah. It's, I don't know. But uh, speaking of strange dynamics, Al, Benton has a little mini confrontation with uh, Romano in the cafeteria, so let's listen to that. Dr. Romano. Peter, I thought you were a dried fruits and nuts kind of guy. Nothing healthy in here. I'm not here to eat. I was looking for you. And you found me. You don't mind if I eat? No. So, what's up? Listen, what Elizabeth and I do in our personal lives should not impact our career. What you're doing in your personal lives? And what would that be? I know you saw us in the locker room, and then you hinted to her that she wouldn't receive your sponsorship next year. Now we both know that's not right. <laughs> Look, I, uh, I had no idea you and Lizzie were an item. I swear I didn't. But don't worry. I mean, I'm happy for you. So you didn't see us? No. But you're having an affair. Terrific. Actually, put certain things in perspective. Hey. Congratulations. Excellent choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh oh. We buying that? Are we buying that he didn't see anything? I'm not. 
no i'm not (laughs) yeah but it's an excellent way to say haha gotcha yeah i guess but yeah but yes alex kingston is a is a good choice yeah so he could do a lot worse uh, Mark tells Emmett that he thinks the broadcast is inappropriate and it shouldn't be done. But right as he's confronting mm-hmm. him, a girl, Scylla Boliotis? I don't remember how her last name yeah, is said. I remember but it was a strange one. But anyway, a tw- yeah, a 12-year-old girl is brought in because she had blunt trauma to her right eye and a concussion. And it happened on the playground. She was running and hit a lamppost. And we, we see that she has a cup taped over her eye because they had... They note that she has a partially exuded globe. Uh, gross. And also a bonus, whose films are those? And this is where Jake taps out of the episode. Yeah, this is this is where it got really this, gross. This, yeah. Why is this the body horror episode? It really is. It really is. Yeah. Thankfully, the rat thing wasn't too gratuitous yeah. like in terms of like actually seeing stuff. Oh, boy. We'll be back with this in a yeah. minute. Uh, but Carolyn and Doug are working on the rapid detox. They're putting... Uh, the little kiddo under so they can give him Narcan for 12 hours without him suffering from withdrawals. Oh boy. Yikes. This just, this just all, say what you want about the medical soundness of what they're doing in 1998. This just, this just all seems just like a bad idea, even under good circumstances, even with a full nursing staff. Well, yeah, because he basically admits at one point too that like, he didn't even like, get any of this in his training he basically just talked to a guy from california who had mm-hmm. done it yeah. and is like that seems like the worst possible circumstances to be doing this under like it's like no it seems easy yeah enough. guy he, he walked me through it you know we were in a bar hanging out you know whatever it's like this is a bad idea don't do this just don't do this stop it get some help yeah it's uh literally get some help yeah my man what are you doing nothing good speaking of nothing good Yosh is helping Mark with Scylla's eye and giving eye drops and getting everything ready. And I just have an all caps here uh, on our notes because that's the only way we can really talk about this. Because her eye is just half popped out of the socket. And great makeup work. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Awful excellent. visual. Whoever was in yep. charge of the eyeball, uh, kudos. Because it looks yep. excellent great. job. It's awful, but it looks great. But also, I'm going to go vomit yep. now. Thank you very yep. much. Uh, so Mark is trying to keep her calm as they work through it. And um, so he asks her, you know, oh, what's your favorite? Whatever. And she she likes the Spice Girls. And we find out her favorite Spice Girl is Posh, which is very cute and very relevant to my age at the time that this episode was out. My favorite was Ginger. Hmm. Any any Spice Girls opinions here? I had a weird thing for Co-hosts? I had a weird thing for Sporty Spice, so I don't know what that. Well, yeah, I get that. I don't that. know what that says about me. Yeah, it was always a toss up between Scary and Sporty for me. That tracks. That that's on point. Um, but then Mark magically gets the eye popped back in. I expected it to make a little like. Ah, uh, why? But it didn't. Why? Why did we have um, to do the sound effects? <laughs> I was ju- I just got the image out of my head, and then you put it right back in with the pop. Literally, you're welcome. Uh, but um, but yeah, so it's all good. He says she's gonna have some like some soreness, and it's gonna be a little blurry for a while. But he gets her up to the eye doctor for further evaluation after that to make sure no structures were permanently damaged. And uh, Tina, Maria, and Emmett are doing what I what better be the clip for this episode is them <laughs> doing their broadcast while Anna watches. 
It's between that or the awkward Benton and Ramon. Oh, I'm trying to remember what I clipped for. The- oh, I know what I clipped. I clipped the very end. I know what I clipped because it seemed like oh, a more significant okay. moment. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But um, this one is also a top contender. Just their whole broadcast that they're doing. Emmett asked Tina, Mar- asked Anna about Tina Marie's condition, and Anna's so rightfully so so uncomfortable, and the whole thing is just so awful. Like- and sleazy. I love it. Her kidneys are bad. Will she be fine? Yeah, she's going to be fine. She's not going to die. Through your help and God's will, she'll be fine. And it's like they pull her into like the broadcast holding hands with both of them. And Anna's just like, please kill me. Yeah, this is one of those scenes where it's like, we can't really do it justice. You'll, it's both of these, everyone here is acting their ass off in the be- well maybe not anna but they know exactly she- who they're playing yeah that's true exactly well i suppose anna because she's pulling off yeah uncomfortable but also eh, yeah. high very well yeah it, which isn't the easiest it's very interesting how they manage to kind of it, it's proof again that you can balance comic relief and very serious in the same episode and have it work because mm-hmm. this never feels strange this never feels jarring it always seems to flow very well in and out of one another and i think part of it is that the child in doug's storyline is an infant and mm-hmm. we therefore don't develop any sort of like i mean obviously there's like a visceral emotional connection to him but we don't develop that personal emotional connection to him the way we would a patient who is you know aware of its surroundings and you know we, like the little girl talking about the Spice Girls. We don't get that exactly, with, the, yeah. with the Narcan baby. Exactly. So you don't get, you don't feel like you're getting pulled in one direction or the other. You know, it, it manages to flow in and out of each other super well. But uh, we go from there. We see Jeannie bringing another set of x-rays to Carrie and fesses up, tells her the truth that they are hers and runs through the symptoms she's been experiencing. And, you know, Carrie... Th- kudos credit where credit is due to carrie here carrie goes right back into sympathetic good carrie here as much as she's kind of we've been shitting on carrie for a couple episodes here she's very much back to sympathetic uh really on genie's side here and I, i it's a good look for her you know she says whatever your status even if you have a measurable viral count no one is going to overreact there's always going to be a job for you here which, uh, well, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> but you know, we're not going to talk about that right now. We're, we'll talk. That's that's next season's problem. But mine, mine was more flashing back to like how they handled it previously. True. Yeah. That which that was also kind of present in my mind when I was watching this too. Like how far? Because that was was that earlier this season? Was that early this season? Yep. Yeah. I believe so. that was super duper early this season. I think. Yeah. Uh. So they've yep. come a long way in just kind of less than a full season. Um, yeah. but yeah, it also bleeds. Is it next season that we lose Jeannie or is it six? I can't remember if it's five or six. I don't remember. Lose. I know she leaves in nine, in 99. It's, so that means it's soon. Yeah. Though. It's either late season five or early season six. I can't remember. I don't remember if her and, uh, uh, Luca overlap at all. I don't think they do. So I think we might be losing Jeannie in five as well. But, uh, in any event, uh, we go from there. We see Lizzie and Benton talking about Romano now knowing about the two of them so see as lizzie says it seems we've gone public so ben day is in full effect now uh and then we go back down we see carol and doug monitoring josh he is stable and they are about to give him the narcan so everything is seemingly going smoothly for now uh 99 yeah is i when know we lose our yeah, early that's, what, season that's six. what we said oh it is early season six early yeah 
let's go back to up to a, a little awkward uh, operation that's happening upstairs. Yeah, between with uh, Romano and Corday. Suction. Lizzie, can you retract this toy? Good. I got the room I need. Now we can all settle back. So, Shirley, let me ask you something. Suppose you ask someone out on a date. I'm married. Yeah, just hypothetically, we have a lengthy procedure. So, you ask this person on a date, and they beg off, claiming that they don't get involved with fellow colleagues from the workplace. Got some oozing. Yeah, got it. Then you find out this person is having a love affair with a fellow colleague. Now, why do you suppose they lied? The fellow colleague is married. Married person's response, but let's say that he's not married. They didn't want to offend someone's overblown ego. It's a thought. But suppose this person made up that silly story about keeping sex and work separate just so that they could continue playing the field. That's absurd. Clamp again, right here. I don't know. Surely? I agree. They're probably still shopping around. It's the music. The that music makes it, makes it yes. absolutely, and Shirley makes it too. Shirley is I love not just because I like the actress, but also because she does make this scene. Like she adds so much to it. For real. Um, but then we have Mark and Doug run into each other in the pharmacy cabinet, and Mark questions what Doug's grabbing because it's an unusual medication, and he's like, "Oh, you know, teenager." unstable heart rhythm i gotta you know take it nothing else is working so kind of brushes him off but clearly lies to him about what the medicine is for which will come up in a minute um randy gives carter a fax re sam's condition and we find out that the um condition that he had was caused by a heavy concentration of nitrates found in the groundwater nearby the greenhouses so there's just environmental toxins all over that farm that he was at and um Max tells Anna that the nurses had the televangelists on in the lounge to watch it. Um, and they say, you know, Anna's like, it's really shady that they're doing that. Like, this is really shitty. And he goes, well, at least they're not practicing law. <laughs> and then he's like, just oh, at right. Jake, it's it's at Jake. This it's is fine. where Jake decided um, he would kill Max. Yep. And like, they're talking about what they want for dinner. And Anna says it's impossible to find a decent Philly cheese steak because one does not exist in Chicago. Which is a damn lie. Monty's on Lawrence, if anyone's ever in town. You know what I really want right now? Al's beef. <laughs> well, we have Jeannie's beef now, so. <laughs> uh. I hate you. I really, want, I really want an Italian beef sandwich. I would argue, too, that uh, authentic Philly cheesesteak, Phil- like Philadelphia Philly cheesesteak, is one of the few like regional cuisines that the the quote unquote authentic version of it is the inferior version. Like I feel like oh, everyone I feel really? like everyone else does Philly cheesesteak better than Philly because the cheese whiz crap that they put on it is disgusting. And I've never I've never had a, a Philly cheesesteak. I've had the like chicken the chicken fillies that they if do here a just lot. Melt, but... see, maybe, just melt provolone maybe cheese because... on it. Maybe it's because I associate cheese whiz with good family memories because my mom would put that would put cheese whiz on green beans during the holiday meals. Yeah. And I always ate <laughs> I always ate that. So it always met it always it brings up good memories and I I'm also a toddler and enjoy the taste of it. So <laughs> No, if you're gonna give me cheese whiz, just give it to me on Ritz Crack. But it's not even it, it. like Don't cheese it. it's like something between cheese whiz and uh queso like it's it's melted it's like i guess like melted Velveeta consistency kind of thing like it's 
Is it almost like stadium yeah, cheese? Yeah, it's very similar to stadium cheese, and it's just like everywhere else I've had it, every other region of the country that does a Philly cheesesteak, they always just do melted like provolone cheese or Swiss cheese or whatever. Like yeah. Philly listeners, I please don't... feel free to add us and tell us why we're yeah. wrong. Yeah. Just saying. Just my opinion. Who knows? I like it with cheese whiz. So, yeah, like I said, Monty's on Lawrence if you're ever in Chicago. Um, yeah, so let's go into our uh, next audio here. Uh, Carrie's talking with Jeannie about her lab work. Uh, Jeannie, when you have a minute, could I see you? Sure, Carrie. You can go now. I'll bandage him up. Thanks, Yosh. I got your labs back. I'm very happy to say it's all good news. Your viral load remains non-detectable, your white count's normal, and you're not even anemic. <sighs> Guess I was getting myself worked up over nothing. I can understand. But remember, I took responsibility for monitoring your health. You shouldn't be on your own looking at x-rays. Yeah, you're right. That won't happen again. What do you think about the forgetfulness? Yeah, well, you complained of sleeplessness. Haven't slept much in the last month. Have you been taking anything? Well, lately I've been taking Halcyon, which could explain. Okay. <laughs> the fact is, Jeannie, I mean, you've had such a rough time with Al moving away and, and Scotty. That alone could explain your symptoms. Yeah, you're right. If you ever want to talk. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah, that'd be good. I'd like that. Good. Yeah, it's a good healing moment for the two of them, but the whole time I'm just thinking, yeah, because that worked so well for her the last time, Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, like, I'm, sup- I'm super pro-Carrie, but that thing I was just like, yeah, we already tried this once. Right. It didn't work out so great for anyone involved. I like it, too, from a storytelling standpoint because, you know, Jeannie has, for the most part, I mean, like we said, at the very beginning of the season, she's kind of fighting for her job and everything, but the vast majority of the middle part of the season, she's able to enjoy a storyline that really doesn't involve her HIV status in any meaningful way, and that's really good, Um, Mm -hmm. but I like that they bring us back to kind of ground zero here of, like, this is always going to be a constant thing that's kind of in her in her rearview mirror you know it's kind of over her shoulder all the time um but i think that it's a it's a good storytelling bit here that it's it is a false alarm you know that it is her just Mm -hmm. getting worked up over nothing where i feel like a lesser show under different circumstances would have just had her start to relapse or 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 had her start to slip further towards being full-blown aids just for the shock value, like just to say that they had a, a character that had AIDS, you know. I also love her delivery when she's talking about the sleeping medication and she goes, oh, yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, she she I connects the dots for herself because she's also a capable, you know. Sufficient. Yeah, she's, she's smart enough to handle her own stuff. So it's all, I really, really love it here. All good stuff. Speaking of good storytelling, what I also like here is in this next scene, we actually get a little bit of insight into Emmett and Tina Marie's relationship here. Oh, this breaks my heart. It does. And I, again, I think a lesser show would have just simply made them the comic relief and the butt of the joke and would have left it at that, like wouldn't have explored it any further. And so we see, you know, Emmett and Tina Marie talking about how good the projection projections for the pledges were from the broadcast. And she says that any potential complications in her uh, situation are make for great prayer vigils. It's like, ugh, they're, they're digging so deep into the whole like 
exploiting people's you know heartstrings for their own benefit um but we learned a little bit more about their relationship how they got married while they were in high school and she says arguably one of the worst things i've ever heard a human being say where she says god has given me the way to keep him close like and then she says he may not love me but he loves the way caring for caring for me makes him look can we get a yikes in chat holy shit that is bad that is real bad Mm. but she plays this incredibly well i can see why she got nominated for Mm -hmm. an emmy for this because she she manages to much like mark's mom earlier in the season she manages to adequately portray uh a lot of years worth of kind of under the surface trauma that she's not really able to discuss and not really able to talk openly about she manages to convey that in a really convincing way in pretty short amount of time because this isn't a very long scene it's only maybe a minute or two but she manages to get all that across in a really believable way you know what but yes this is a very good scene but you know what else is a very else is a very good scene our next audio clip uh corday and benton are headed out on their date uh, so i suppose the cock door's a bit dressy yeah uh but you know what actually i didn't make reservations there our date's off no no we're going to the Velvet Lounge. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you know people are going to look at us like we're crazy, right? Yeah, but you know that doesn't bother me, Peter. Yeah, well, I wish I could say the same. Look, I can't change what I am any more than you can. Whatever feelings I have for you are based on, on who you are, not what I want you to be. Elizabeth, you're not from here. I mean, you know what? You didn't grow up the way I did. Yeah, I wish I could say one, two, three, and all my feelings about your skin color would disappear, but it doesn't work like that. Do you understand that? Yes. But I don't want to subject you to something you're not ready for. You know, I've never met anybody that makes me laugh or blush or whatever the way you do. I'm trying to work through this. You know, you gotta trust me, all right? Mm -hmm. Come on, let's go to the Velvet Lounge. I love them so much. They're so good together. I was saying to Lizzie, though, when we were watching this, I was like, you know, it's moments like these that the predominant whiteness of our goddamn chair set up here really sits with me because we don't have the insight to really, like, to speak for where Peter's speaking Right, which I've, and I've had conversations with listeners who who are African-American and feel Mm -hmm. kind of it's it's essentially like a i'm sad that this happened kind of thing like i'm sad that that this relationship doesn't ask or doesn't last but i get the point that he's making and not only peter benton the character but eric lasalle the actor uh Mm -hmm. because which is as good a a time as any to bring this up this will bleed over into season five like the the benton uh, Corday pairing but it does fall apart rather quickly into season five and that's because over the break they got a shit ton of hate mail. Like they got, Whoa. they got a ton of fucking hate mail. Did you not know that? I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but sometimes I like to think you like to think the best of people. I have, I have a little bit of faith in people and I get that amount gets smaller every time I learn more yeah. and more. Well, and the other thing too was, and I don't remember where I heard this from. Carly may have been the one to share this with me, or it might've been Jen shout out to my two, um, outside of our show ER experts, but one of them mentioned that part of the thing was that um, 
they had also made the decision for them to break it off because his previous relationships with black that, women yeah, th- had been so destructive and not great. And then all of a sudden he's with a white woman and it's magical and perfect. That, and so they end this relationship and have him get with Cleo instead. Right. Yeah. That, that was, a, that was actually Aaron too. the, the guy who I was Damn referring it. to. That's okay. I mean, he, it, <laughs> but it's, it's not like everybody has, has brought it up in one way or another. Like, cause it's, it, it's right. kind of an elephant in the room kind of situation because there's clearly undeniable chemistry between these characters and yeah. you know, like I said, they're they're doomed by outside forces in the sense that like they did get a shit ton of hate mail about this, and this there was still very very real divisions that still exist today. But even you know, I'm sure it was even worse here, and um, but it also extended into it made Eric LaSalle uncomfortable too because of what you were just saying that all of his previous yeah. relationships up to this point with black women were portrayed as dysfunctional and this was being portrayed as kind of this like perfect match and it was with a white woman and it was kind of sending a complicated message and i understand like when you when you frame it like that like i don't agree with the hate mail yeah. at all i i want to state that 100 we've talked about how much i ship this but when you frame it from that perspective and how important good representation right. is then I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense why creatively they yeah. may have wanted to... And and you can see why, too, the thought didn't necessarily occur to a room full of white writers either, you know? Like, you can see... Because, yeah, like you said, even from our standpoint, it didn't necessarily occur to us on first blush, but you can see why a room full of writers would say, like, well, these two characters seem well-matched, you know? And kudos yeah. to them, too, for when he voiced his concern about it. I'm sure the hate mail had a little bit to do with it, too, but but when he voiced his concern mm-hmm. about it, that they took him seriously and didn't dismiss him. And, so you know... Yeah, I just want to say, listeners, another reminder, please share this information with us, because, unfortunately, while we are a sort of diverse group in our life experiences, just from, you know, sexuality and gender standpoint, colors of something we're lacking a little yeah. bit. So, please... Point shit out to us if we're not if we're not noticing something if we're being dense and our privilege is showing please for share. sure yeah oh yeah I've definitely the, like I said, I've had a ton of fascinating conversations with Eric about or I'm sorry with uh, Aaron about Eric and about the right. um the way that kind of the because one of the first conversations actually he and I had was about kind of the unspoken dispensable nature of the minority docs on the show gant and pratt and all that stuff like there's a lot of that in there that that again i don't necessarily think was a purposeful choice i don't think that that they were trying to send any kind of subversive message with that i just think it's something that kind of just happened because you're dealing with limited perspectives in a writer's room like that um, but it, so it not only bleeds into, you know, the, the, the hate mail stuff and then, you know, Eric LaSalle is sort of uncomfortable with it. Um, but it also actually, and again, we're jumping way ahead here. We're jumping to the end of their relationship, which, um, this article I'm going to quote here is from April of 99. So we're jumping almost a year ahead in the timeline here towards, I would guess towards closer to the end of season five. Um, but that's about where the fallout i'm not they've probably i'm not sure exactly where in season five this falls apart the on-screen portion but clearly the real life implications of it were still being felt much uh towards the end of season five Um, but there's a new york post article here from april of 1999 uh talking about the the how the everything fell apart about how they got the hate mail and everything but it also apparently uh fostered 
quite a bit of internal um, discomfort and animosity between Eric LaSalle and Alex Kingston. So, because because apparently she was much more in favor of their relationship on screen than he was, which I'm sure for her this was probably her first opportunity to really get featured in a big way because she's new to the show, she's still trying to get kind of her feet underneath of her. This is kind of the first big opportunity for her to get featured in a storyline, and it's going to get cut off because of circumstances out outside of her control. So I can understand where she's coming from. Um, there's some quotes in here. Let me see if I can pull some out so in several print interviews LaSalle said he was he said that he pushed the show's writers and executive producer Lydia Woodward to end Benton's relationship with Corday because he thought it was sending the wrong message to its black audience which last season was bigger than Friends and Seinfeld combined uh quote as an African-American man it becomes a bit offensive if the negative things are all you're showing because in real life we romance and get on each other's nerves and laugh and do all the things that any other race of people do so if the only time you show a balanced relationship is in an interracial relationship whether it's conscious or subconscious it sends a message I'm not comfortable with the writers were sending a message that I didn't want to be a part of which was the only time that this man becomes human and tender and vulnerable and open is when he falls in love with a white woman and he also noted that Benton's previous two relationships with Jeannie Boulay and Carla Reese were very dysfunctional. Of the two relationships that I had prior to Corday, one was an adulterous relationship with Jeannie Boulay, and the next re- relationship I got into was with Carla. And unfortunately, the writing uh, there was every time you see them, they're either fighting or having sex. So, ugh. I mean, good on him for speaking Yeah, out, no, though. absolutely, 100%. Like, it's one of those things that, like, I'm, I'm really sad that this ends because i'm a huge fan of it but i absolutely 100 percent understand his perspective and where he's coming from and where that kind of discomfort came from um and then on on corday's side too alex kingston said you know it was a positive relationship and generated a lot of positive feeling um but it was something that the actor in question had problems with so it had to come to an end i actually thought it was a wonderful thing to put out for america to see so clearly at this point in time she's not even able to refer to him by name so clearly she's a little bit upset granted like i said this is this is as it's all happening so i can i'm sure the emotions were very raw at that time she may feel differently about it now but uh yeah so a wee a wee bit a chuffed. wee bit chuffed so yeah uh like i said we're, we're we're jumping the gun on this a little bit but it's one of these things i've had that tab open for like three weeks now ever since i found that article and i wanted to like dig into it because it is it's one of the more fascinating chapters of the whole story of like this could have been something really incredible but it it kind of gets ruined by forces outside of everybody's control so so after all that we go uh to the lounge where we see max uh who has discovered his uh, mythical philly cheesesteaks in chicago in the in the barren cultural or uh, barren culinary wasteland that is chicago uh, hey. well, from his perspective, he was just talking about how oh. you can't find Philly cheesesteaks in Chicago. They've never heard of Philadelphia. Qu- they've never heard of putting Anna- meat on a bun before. I think Anna tells him you can't. Yeah. But See, we do put meat on a bun. It's just in a superior way. A salad. <laughs> no. Well, yes. But also yeah, Chicago Italian yeah. beef. Everybody, everybody harps on Mexican food for just being like tortillas with meat and cheese when in reality white people are doing the same thing with meat on bread like and all claiming that it's yeah. this it's different it's it's all the same shit but uh he offers one to Carter who declines and uh this is where he really tries to like lay it on thick with uh, Carter here he says you know I don't want Anna to cut herself off from people she likes 
And Carter actually gives him the what for here. Carter is like, uh, you want to know what I think? I think you're trouble. I think you suck, asshole. I think you your face is derpy and your mother dresses you funny. And, you know, just, like, just dresses him down here. And uh, Team Carter. Fuck Max. Hate him. So we will see more of him next week, I guess. I don't know. He's got one more. And then him and Anna will apparate into the fog forever. But... Uh, we go from there. Uh, we see Carrie talking to Mark, saying that there's a storage unit that could be out, or a storage closet that can be outfitted as a peds <laughs> room. Uh, and she, this is where she kind of lets the curtain fall a little bit here. Where she's, you know, I appreciate loyalty. I just don't think it should come at the expense of the ER because I think she senses that she's losing the battle a little bit here. Yeah. So, as well she should. <laughs> but don't worry because uh, the battle will be. Uh... You'll, you'll, you'll come out on the winning side here in a mere seconds. It's like one of those charts you see in like a football game where it's like the win probability is like 99% <laughs> for something. This, this is uh this is Carrie is down 28 to 3, but she don't worry, she's going to come back and win. Yeah, so let's listen to how this episode uh, wraps up. Uh, baby Josh's pulse ox starts to fall and Carol and Doug are doing their best to troubleshoot. Pulse ox 89. What's going on? Decreased breath sounds on the left. Maybe it's a collapsed lung. Should I get a portable x-ray? It can't be. Pressures aren't that high. It's only 100% oxygen. Could be a mucus plug. I'll get a suction catheter. Looks good. Infected abrasion. Right here. She cleaned up good, huh? I'll change the dressing when you come in to see Halle. Sure. Thursday. Hook up the vent. Pulse ox 98. What the hell is this? i explain this to you. This boy is my patient. Ketamine drip? What are you doing in here? I'm doing an ultra-rapid detox. Everything's under control. Like hell it is. Is this baby even a registered patient? Mark, is he on the look, board? Look, if you'll just let me explain the circumstances. The mother of you this boy You don't have consent, is... do you? You've got an intubated kid under deep sedation. Mark, Doug's got this under control. We've got to move this kid. You're not even gonna hear me out on no, this. No, I don't He's need kid. I tried 0.3 mics per kilo Gino per minute. Him. All right, let's get to the pick. You do it right here. Where's the chart? I don't have a chart. Is this how you practice medicine? Let's go. Right here. I wrote everything down on that piece of paper. Oh, that's great. That's Mark. Leave us. Inga, call the pick. You tell him we've got a critical patient coming up. Okay, I'm gonna need a name. What's the name? Listen, we don't have to do this. What's Mark? the baby's name? Josh McNeil. Okay, baby McNeil, about six months old, ketamine drip, intubated. What's going on? I found Doug in exam four detoxing his baby. What? I found him by accident. Carol, did you know about this? I was helping him. Helping him? The baby was stable. Yeah, There's no need to do this, ER policy. Oh, they got a bed ready and pick you. Tell him I'll bring him up, son of a bitch. I'm going up is. with it, too. Yeah, you're damn right you're going. You're going to explain this to the hospital administration and the executive committee. Let's go. You lied to me, Doug. You looked me right in the face and lied to me. Well, so so everything's fine. (laughs) (sighs) This is totally fine. This is totally normal behavior from everyone involved, especially Doug. And this, you know, what a happy ending to this episode. So what did y'all think? I love Venom spitting Carrie. I just have to say, I know a lot of people don't like how um, 
blunt she can be, but I love when she gives people the this, business. It's a good bookend to where she was in the live episode when she dresses down the cameraman as Morgan Stern's having his mm-hmm. heart attack. Like, how dare you suggest that this guy's getting preferential treatment or whatever. Like, it's the same kind of vibes here. Like, we're getting just full-throated Carrie. Like, mm, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it as well. And I really like, too, I like, on a, on a nerd kind of tip, like, I like the use of the monitor as kind of the tension building diegetic sound in the background like there's there's really i mean yes there is a score underneath but and and martin talked a little bit about this in his interview too about how a lot of times he was in just kind of general trauma scenes he would yield a lot of times to the Mm -hmm. the environmental sound and the the monitors beeping and you know phones ringing and things like that like he would he would yield to that a lot of times and i feel like he does that in a big way here like he lets that monitor beeping be the dominant sound in that whole scene and it only stops when the elevator door closes and as soon as the elevator door closes you're left with that tight shot on doug and it's just oh fuck what have i done like and the little doo-doo from the audio it's damn good it is damn good excellent way to end this episode because it leaves you yeah what i was to say the rest of the episode like rest of the episode is good so i guess i'll get into my yeah. little end of the episode what i thought so i think the re- the, re- the rest of the episode is probably it's solid b minus b mm-hmm. like there's nothing inherently offensive <laughs> besides apparently max here um <laughs> to at least to me but like this just ends on a heater and brings this episode to a solid B plus for me, honestly, just based on the last two minutes of it. And, and really there's a lot that I would say there's a, we're definitely, we're definitely in the penultimate episode of a season. We're in the end game now. Shut up. Lots of things are, go watch Loki, everyone. Um, Except for Daniel, because he hates the MCU. But (laughs) anyway, he's just tired of it. Anyway. Um, but yeah, everything is definitely coming to everything's coming to a head. Everything's coming to its natural, starting to get to its natural conclusion. Um, I'm feeling rushed, considering we're losing Anna next mm-hmm. episode. I feel like that's gonna come out. I can already tell that that's gonna come out of left yeah. field. I, and I think like, I'm trying to remember exactly how the episode, how next week's episode ends, because I want to say it ends with her departure. Like she just kind of, I, I know, I know, I know the broad strokes of how she leaves. Like they basically, her and Carter have like a, a an emotional conversation outside and then her and Derpy get into a cab and, you know, drive away. And then that's the end of it. Like, and she's just gone forever. And she died on her way back to her home planet. <laughs> right. Like she's just gone forever and we'll never talk about her again, except for the bonus episode where we'll talk all about her. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but like you said, it leaves you very excited for how they're going to put all this together in a tight little package. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you're right though. It is, it's, it's an episode that's very backloaded. Like the front, the front half mm-hmm. of this episode is like good. Like it's like fine to good. Like there's nothing offensively bad about it. Everything is kind of just ho hum good. The televangelists are really yeah. cute. The, everybody, like, the, like Lauren said yes. earlier, everybody knows what scenes they're in. Everybody knows what parts they have to play in this 
in this yeah, episode. Exactly. Um, but as soon as you reach about the halfway point of the episode and beyond, it really kicks into this other gear where everything, and then in the last, you know, two minutes, like we just heard, it goes from an even, it goes from that gear to an even higher gear where it goes like, oh shit. Like, you know, we, we get into that like Exodus gear where it's like balls to the wall. Everything is, uh, everything's happening at once. So, uh, but it, we've had episodes like this before where, um, you know, we've had one really good part of the episode where it leaves your heart pounding and everything's good and everything else doesn't quite match up. This is the first time, though, that I feel like they've really balanced all of those elements together to make uh, to make it seem like a cohesive product where not everything or, or everything flows together very well. Like it's it works yeah. together very, very well. It has a nice build to it and then eventually crescendos into this amazing last two minutes where you know, you can't wait for the next episode to start. It feels like we're headed for a finale. Right. Yeah. That's that's the probably the best thing I can say about this episode is that it feels like we're headed for a finale in the in the best way yeah. possible. Outside of the Max and Anna story. Yeah, line, which is but. just, you know, they're at this point I have to believe at this point they know that this is done and they're just trying to wrap it up in as as satisfying of a way as they possibly can like they they already know that this has failed as an experiment so let's just let's just get it done with as little damage to the overall storyline as we can so b plus for me lauren what do you think b b plus b plus uh with some a minus a a moments all right what the listeners have to say lauren quite a lot this week um uh lydia m starts off with emmett and tina marie TV evangelists aren't really a thing in Australia. We have them, but not like the States do. They were eye-opening for me to a world I was definitely not aware of. Now, our prime minister is Pentecostal. Every time I see our PM, I think of Emmett and all the off-camera stuff we see in this episode, which says a lot about my personal political views, but only 7% of us are vaccinated because he didn't order enough. And also, he is bullet in the OC. Yet another, oh, hey, it's that guy Michelle. version, or uh, reference for... Yep. Gary. Uh, yep. Michelle K says, ah, Tammy Faye. I mean, Tina Marie. I really liked her portrayal because she nailed being a con artist, televangelist 100%. That's true. We didn't, we didn't really touch on that at all. Do you even know who Tammy Faye is, Lauren? Because you're a couple Not years younger than us. So, Tammy Faye. I don't even know who that Jim is. Jim and Tammy Faye. Essentially, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker would have been the source material for Emmett and Tina Marie here. Yeah, I figured they were based off someone, but it I was a, she yeah. was basically like, uh, it, it, arguably the fictional portrayal here was a toned down version of Tammy Faye because Tammy Faye would, she was like the Simpsons joke where the with the makeup cannon or the makeup gun, like she just had like kind of an absurd amount of makeup caked on her face all of the time, and then I think, and I think he was the evangelist. She was like the trophy wife. I think he was the the televangelist, and I. I think he went to jail for like tax evasion or something like that doesn't there was it was a whole big this was like late 80s maybe early 90s at the absolute latest so it was definitely you know probably a little before your awareness level lauren but yeah jim and tammy faye baker name sounds familiar uh franner w says maybe i'm thinking too much about this but there seems to be a theme with delamico being uncomfortable or struggling where religion is concerned the episode where someone assumed she was Catholic because of her name and it affected her treatment of them. The episode where she had struggles with performing the later term termination after the terrorist attack at the abortion clinic, looking visibly uncomfortable around the evangelists when on the telly in this episode. 
Do you think they were building up to something that would become part of a wider arc for her, but then she ended up getting bobbed? Or do I need to stop working 80-hour <laughs> weeks and get out more? Also, for fuck's sake, Doug. And I and I responded to her about this uh, in the Facebook group that I think that that definitely was the one and only plot thread with her that I think they ever zeroed in on that this is going to be a defining trait of this character is that she's going to be Catholic and she's going to struggle with it in some way. And for whatever reason, it either didn't work or they just lost interest in it and cut bait because that was that's the only yeah. bit of recurring character work with her that ever endures from one episode to the next they've kind of just thrown a bunch of shit at the wall with her and tried to see if it'll stick and none of it really ever does except for the catholic thing and kind of her varying degrees of comfort with that yep and last but not least aaron b says the beginning of the end for of one doug ross in earnest you start to see all the clues the writers have laid all season finally come to fruition. His clashes with Carrie, his professional conflicts with Mark over the power dynamic of their relationship, the scolding of socioeconomically challenged mothers, and his no-holds-barred approach to medicine, where hospital policy is seen as an annoying footnote. Yeah, Agreed. The long-term storytelling with Doug's exit is, I think, going to be when, when, when the dust finally settles on Clooney, I feel like that's going to be one of my favorite parts of his whole time on the show is, is how much time, energy, and effort they put into giving him a, not just a, a well-done, a, a proper send-off, but a really well-thought-out and a really well-executed send-off that doesn't come out of nowhere. Well, we shall see that next season. But for now, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only a dollar a month, you, get, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over a dozen hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. Coming soon. A bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the world at that moment. Movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. And flash forwards, where we're doing it where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes, most recently featuring me hey. for the first time. <laughs> We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook, which is where a lot of our viewer comments come from. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. And I am also... uh, reminding all of you to please rate review and recommend us if you enjoy the show it's how we continue to gain more listeners and get more great listener feedback yeah. so it would be greatly appreciated yeah please do tell a friend we really really appreciate any good word you can put out for us uh but you can also find me on twitter i'm at random gamer that's gam3r as well as on the popular courts youtube channel doing a let's play of mass effect legendary edition new episodes of that are out every friday and you can find those videos and much much more at youtube.com slash the popular court thanks again everyone very much for listening please join us again next time for the season finale and have a great week Bye.